welcome back everyone what up what up so it's the next episode of the adventures of uh we're gonna do the adventures of sobriety today um and with that um it's kind of a special episode i guess for both of us um because we're we're a double nickels household here so today as it is um july, july 5th. 5th is megan's actual five-year anniversary of sobriety so we're very excited and all the congratulations um and so she's going to tell you about her story take it away taking it um it oh dang there's fireworks in our neighborhood which is absolutely nothing new um yeah so i uh my spray date is july 5th 2015 five years ago today crazy man I didn't mm-hmm. think I would, uh, I don't know. I never thought I'd see you here. So, I mean, we all got the answer wrong to where do you see yourself in five years, but yeah. that's a whole, <laughs> whole nother, whole nother level here. <gasps> that is the truth, man. So yeah, a little bit, um, a little bit about my upbringing. Um, I was not raised in Steph's two parent household, uh, that she discussed la- on the last episode. Um, I was raised in a family of uh, addicts and alcoholics, so um, I guess I'm just going to put my parents out there. My dad is a a drug addict and my mom is an alcoholic, Um, so I was raised by, well, which wasn't really raised by either of them. Uh, My grandparents had a really heavy influence in my upbringing and so did my favorite aunt and uncle. Um, And yeah. Huh? We love them. We love them. Uh, shout out to Uncle Keith and Aunt Jill. Those those are my folks for real. Mm-hmm. Um, they're the reason I turned out even semi-normal today. So yeah, so I um, I started drinking in... I mean, I, I started drinking alcoholically in high school. My first drink was at like age nine, but it wasn't... Well, like I wasn't like wilding out at nine. Um, I come from an Italian family and... Um, like the rule of the family was like as long as you're around family like you can drink and like not get out of control so at nine my grandmother would like let us sip for jack daniels which is ironic because i drank so much jack in my alcoholism oh man um but yeah so acquired a taste at a young age i you know and jack actually tastes like shit like i don't it's not like great whiskey i don't enjoy it and but it got me twisted i swear (laughs) Um, yeah, so I started, like, my first drink was at nine, from, like, nine to 14. Um, I had a couple sips of, like, random alcohols. Wine at dinner was, you know, a thing. My grandma, like, my grandmother was always letting us, like, sip off her drinks, but I didn't get, um, I didn't get drunk until I was 14, and I was, uh, so I grew up, (laughs) NASCAR, I grew up in Daytona Beach, Florida, um, and you know which is the country if you think about it um the, it's the redneck riviera because there's beaches and then it's just like a bunch of rednecks shout out to all my daytona folks um but yeah so i was at a bonfire um huh cow tipping yeah i don't know if we cow i i i mean i blacked out that night so i'm honestly not quite sure if we went cow tipping but it was not out of the out of the ordinary 
Um, so yeah, so I got, I got blackout drunk the first time I like really drank and we were at, um, somebody had a, a keg party out in the woods somewhere. Audrey was her name. Um, and I illegally drove out there. So I had a, <laughs> woo, I had a history of taking my mom's car in the middle of the night and she legit. So I did that from freshman year of high school oh till junior year of high school and she didn't catch me till junior year of high school wow. and she actually didn't catch me my grandma yo my this is an aside but my grandma watched me from the kitchen so our kitchen window looked out over the street and my grandma watched me grab my mom's keys sneak out of the house leave and then went and told my mom oh my god that that's a story that's a story for another day um but yeah so i had this history of like taking my mom's car in the middle of the night and like leaving and and really doing whatever i wanted um she didn't find out that that till 10 years later she was she was not happy what do you think you were doing if you were taking her car like as a junior in high school she had no idea i was taking her car but like she found out when you were junior high school. Yeah, so that was like we didn't really discuss like, yo, I've been taking your car for the last three years. She just thought it was the one time. Yeah, she and it, it actually so that night I I I I did not intentionally lie, but my dad had gotten me a car, and I took my car out in the middle of the night. Okay. But for three years before I got a car, I took her car in the middle of the night and would just like got it, do Makes whatever. Oh my gosh, I, yo. I was turned up at a young age. Anyway, so went to this keg party, um, got really drunk, blacked out, and somehow still made it home. So, like, that was the first time I ever drank. Um, and that pattern pretty much continued up until the time I got sober. I mean, I was a blackout drinker. Um, if you had to ask me how many times I blacked out, I probably couldn't tell you. Um, but, yeah, that was, like, my high school life. I was, like, a... A C student with A potential in high school. Um, I didn't really care about, I didn't care about school. Um, my sister was the nerd of the family. She got straight A's somehow without even going to school. Um, but I, like, I just didn't care. So I drank um, the day after my high school graduation. I was raped. Um, and that is a very... Um, pivotal moment in in my alcoholism because I think that I definitely would have eventually made it into the rooms of of recovery and um, like I know I would have made it and and gotten sober I just think that that one incident um, really catapulted my drinking and I mean I was I don't think I drew a sober breath after that day for six months um I I wasn't like actively suicidal but there were a few times where I'd like drive um I'd get I'd get toasted and drive my car and like try to jump like I would imagine what it'd be like to drive my car off of like an overpass it was it was wild um and during that time in in high school just this is really important um my mom joined a religious cult or the likes. It, I mean, it was. Um, so that, so my mom got sober when I was 13. Um, so from like 13 to 15, I had my mom um, in her sober, normal state. And then when, when I turned 15, um, 
at some point my mom got hooked up with this dude and ended up like joining a, a, a religious cult. Um, so that is important later on. Um, so at 18, um, I just gone through a sexual trauma. My mom was in this cult. Um, we lived with my grandparents at the time of me graduating high school. And, uh, my mom basically told me the day after my high school graduation that I either was moving onto the cult compound with her or I was moving with my sister, uh, down in St. Pete because, um, like living with my grandparents was no longer an option. They got into it about like my high school graduation and whether my mom was going to show up. It was a whole thing. Um, so I, I moved to St. Pete with my sister. Um, unbeknownst to my sister, apparently, like my mom had never had a conversation with her about me moving <laughs> in. <laughs> so I just showed up at my sister's house one day and, and like. She was just a surprise. Yeah. And like never left. Um, I slept on her couch. 2009, which is the year that I graduated high school, was a very rough year. Um, the latter part for the most part. And so I lived with my sister. I met my biological dad, um, and, and he has played a big role in my life since then. Um, so like I said, my dad is a drug addict, and if anyone knows anything about uh, relationships with people who are active in recovery, that is, or who are active in their addiction, um, it has been an interesting ride for the two of us. So, yeah, so I met him um, when I was 18, and he uh, was fairly clean at the time um, and really helped me in a lot of ways. We got my mom out of the cult. That was a whole, whew, 2009 was rough. 2009 was also important, though, because my sister got sober in 2009 um, and started her journey into sobriety, and that is also a very pivotal part of my story. Um so during this time, I mean, I was still drinking alcoholically. I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. I tried college when I was, was in St. Pete. And just because of all of the events that happened, I couldn't really, um, I mean, I couldn't really focus on school. And my favorite aunt and uncle had made this offer to me um, to, li like, I could live with them in Gainesville and go to school um, for free and, and, like, live with them. Um, I'd flunked out of my first year in school down in St. Petersburg. I'd lost a lot of money to go to school um and I called my uncle and asked him to like help me get into school in Gainesville um I got enrolled in the community college the up there the stipulation was that I had to maintain a 4.0 GPA my first semester and then a 3.8 after that um got my 4.0 the first semester never saw above 3.0 after that um but still managed to live with my aunt and uncle so Gainesville um for anyone that doesn't know is the University of Florida is there. It's a big party school. It's a big football school. I love football as football. we, as we have discussed. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was, I, I met people almost immediately that drank like me and we, I was turned up for the next year and a half. Um, I blacked out a lot. I got kicked out of a Taco Bell. I was banned <laughs> from a Taco Bell because I couldn't control myself. <laughs> That only recently came out, so this is like news to everyone. Um, but I forgot that I was banned from the Taco Bell until I went back to Gainesville recently. Um, but yeah, so that you know that was my drinking. Um, in 2012, my dad overdosed on drugs, and um, he actually died. And they revived him. Um, and what that did was led me to move back to the Tampa St. Petersburg area. Um, I lived with him for like two months. 
and his house, his house got robbed at gunpoint in the middle of the night and I, I realized I was not about that life. Um, and I promptly went to my sister's house. There's a theme here. When, when life gets difficult, I go to my sister's house and I don't necessarily tell her that I'm moving in, but I just kind of stay Show on her couch. Stay. Yeah. Um, so that was 2012. 2012 to 2015, um, it, it was really just like the same, the same story over and over again. Um, so I was drunk all the time. Like I said, I was a blackout drinker, so I was blacked out for the majority of like those three years. Um, I ended up engaged somehow. Oh, anyone that is with someone in their early twenties and active alcoholism, like y'all are saints. Cause woo, we ended up moving in together. Um, he like kind of got in the way of my drinking. So I was like trying to get rid of him and like couldn't because we lived together. Um, and he financially supported the majority of our household. Um, so he ended up joining the military and that was, that was my out. Um, so if we fast forward to July 4th of 2015, so my life, like the beginning part of 2015 was like out of control, um, and kept getting worse. And then if we fast forward to July the 4th of 2015, um, I got drunk. So I made a bunch of plans. None of them involved alcohol. I was going to cook out. I was going to visit my nephews. Like I intentionally, go. they had nothing actually involved alcohol? Well, I mean, it didn't... It, it or didn't, didn't involve you drinking that much alcohol? Well, it didn't involve me sitting at a bar. Okay. Right? So, like, I was going to a cookout. I was going to see my dad. I was supposed to hang out with my nephews. And what ended up happening was apparently the bar at Cheddar's... Do they have Cheddar's up here? Um, Are you familiar with Cheddar's? It's a restaurant. So, it's a restaurant. It's like a... Um, it's like a... Not microwave food, Applebee's. So it's like similar. One of the college towns in Missouri has, I think, a Cheddar's yeah, it and a Cheesy's. It reminds me of like a TGI Friday's them. fused with a Cracker Barrel. Okay. If you could fuse the two. I don't know. I was drunk, so yeah, I only vaguely remember it. But it was good. But a lot of stuff is when you're drunk. That's very true. I mean, Cheddar's is fine. Don't get me wrong. But apparently their bar opens at 9.30 on July the 4th. So, oh, oh, I'd run a midnight race. I, I was into running at the time because I thought that running was going to stop my life from falling apart. Had no idea that alcohol was the problem. Um, so I'd run a midnight 10K and somehow injured myself. I was also drunk during that. Um, I went to bed from like 3 to 9. And by 9.30, I was at the bar again. Um, and I ended up blacking out for 16 hours. Like I started drinking and I was turned up all day. Um, I came to at 3 a.m. And... I texted my sister who, like I said uh, earlier, was in recovery. Um, I was still drunk and I texted her and I was like, I need to go to a meeting with you. Um, I think I only like a quarter heartedly meant that, not not even half heartedly. Probably. Like, I was, I, yeah. But my sister, you know, apparently had been waiting for that text for a very long time because she, uh, like, you know, it's, it's funny, like the longer you're in recovery, the more people tell you about like yourself when you were drunk. So now I know that I was like, she was coming back from that convention to kick me out of her house. Like, so I was like, you know, and and my sister Nicole is like the, the last person to ever give up on me. So like the fact that I was that close to getting kicked out of her house lets you know, like where my alcoholism was. Um, so I texted her and she like, she followed through on her, on her, on her promise to take me to a meeting. Um, and I, I, I wouldn't say I followed through, but like I ended up going. Um, 
I went to my first meeting, my sister came with me and she was, so the, the meeting that I went to was a newcomer's meeting and all the, the people with less than a year of sobriety were supposed to sit at the table. And she was like, all right, you go over there and you go sit at the table. And I was like, all right, cool. And she's like, I'm gonna be over here and I'm gonna find you right after this meeting. Don't talk to anybody unless they're women. And I was like, all right, cool. So I went over to the meeting, definitely didn't sit at the table, sat in the back row. Um, and she was like, see if you'd, you'd want anyone to like be your sponsor. And I was like, all right, cool. So I didn't know, like I knew, I grew up around AA because my mom got sober, my sister got sober. So like I, I'd been in the rooms um, and I kind of knew what I was looking for. So the chick next to me had a nice wallet and I was like, that's good enough for me to want you to be my sponsor. You got good style, like let's do it. Um, and that was like the beginning of me getting sober. Um, I worked the first nine steps with that sponsor um, and she actually went out uh, and used again. Um, so I got another sponsor, my second sponsor. Woo! She was, um, I should back up. So for the first six months of my sobriety, I just like switched addictions. So like I did the steps, I did what I was quote unquote supposed to do. I did like three fifths of what I was supposed to do. Um, but I basically switched addictions. So like I stopped drinking, but like I started working a lot more so that I didn't have to like focus on myself. And I feel like that's important because that is a theme as well. Um, so my second sponsor, she was, she was from Northern Virginia. She was an old timer and she was whew, tough. Um, but she was exactly what I needed at the time because, you know, I was one of those um, people that came to these rooms and thought that I like knew everything. Um, I had, I had problems with God that I didn't know I had problems with at the, or problems with at the time. Um, I was defiant and I was just willing enough to stay sober. And, um, that, that is by the grace of God. So her and I got right to work. Um, I worked all 12 steps with her. Um, you know, she took me to meetings. She introduced me to people. She made me get a, a women's home group as my home group, which I was absolutely like dead set against because women, um, you know, women likes women, especially like women in the program see right through like the BS um, and I needed that. So I, I chose a, a home group um, that was with a bunch of women. I started dating in my first year of sobriety, which is absolutely frowned upon. And I a hundred percent understand why now. Um, so I was, yeah, I was seven months sober and I started dating um, probably the worst guy that I've ever dated in my life. Um, but I was like, I'm sober. This is going to be great. It was, it was not great. It was a dumpster fire. Um, yeah. Uh -huh. a, a, yeah. A big one. Um, but I also, it, it, you know, it's funny how I look back on like how God works in our lives and like at seven months sober, I started dating this guy and like a week later, a newcomer asked me to sponsor her and I was like, I'm seven months sober. I don't have anything to offer. And my sponsor was like, you got seven months more than she has. Um, and it was like the perfect balance of me not going out and drinking from all of the stuff that happened in that relationship. Um, so my first three years of sobriety looked like that. It looked like a lot of defiance. It looked like a lot of um, not necessarily following the suggestions. I had big issues with God and um, I didn't know it at the time. And uh, I was basically doing enough to just get by in the program. Um, year three, three days before my third anniversary, I, three days before my... I lied three days before my fourth anniversary. Uh -huh. So yeah. So I guess that was my first, wait, 
four. I would have picked up my three-year chip when I got here. Yeah. Four-year chip would have been... Last year. July 5th of 2019. Yeah, so you moved here... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right okay, okay. Three so uh, right at my three-year anniversary, yeah. So three days before my three... Ooh, math is hard. Um, three days before my three-year <laughs> anniversary... Florida school education. Oh, I do have a Florida education. That's true. Um, three days before my third anniversary, um, I moved to Baltimore. And um, as, as I hinted at last week, um, the first 10 months of my time in Baltimore were... It was rough. Um, but what I did, the first thing I did, I was so, you know, I had two choices when I moved up here. Um, I could either throw myself back into the program and do everything that I didn't do the first couple of years of my sobriety, or I could drink. Um, and I was already miserable enough and I knew that drinking wasn't, wasn't going to help me be less miserable. Um, at least in the long term. I knew in the short term I would probably feel less miserable, but the first thing I did when I got up here, I was driving a, a 16 foot moving truck and I, I drove, I drove that moving truck up to, uh, the church in Timonium and I went to my first meeting up here. Well, the first meeting I went to was absolutely terrible. And I was like, if this is, is recovery in Baltimore, I'm, I'm not going to make it. Um, so the second, like the actual first full meeting that I went to, which was the second me- meeting I went to is, is my home group now. Um, and Steph was sharing at that meeting. She was celebrating her anniversary and, um, you know, I announced that I had just moved here and that, you know, I, I was new to town and like the 10 plot. women. Yeah. So the, somebody called it getting caught up in the wave. The wave came and got me. Um, and like 10 or 12 women gave me their number after that meeting. And I didn't call a single one of them uh, for like a very long time. I mean, I called you like, but you know, I wasn't trying to like build relationships. Um and then I flew back to Florida for two weeks and I came back down or I came back to Baltimore permanently on, on July 23rd. And, um, I went to my, I guess, third meeting now, which was also a women's meeting. And, um, this, this woman named Meg was sharing or no, she wasn't sharing. She was at the meeting, you know, and I announced again that I was new, um, and that I like needed to get connected and whatever. And this chick came up to me after the meeting and she was wearing like a hot pink dress, um, She's like the she most had, stunning red hair. Yeah, she's she was gorgeous, dressed to the nines, full makeup. And she walked up to me and she was like, my name's Meg and I'm from Florida too. I moved here about a year ago and I highly suggest getting involved now because um, I didn't and I was miserable. And I was like, all right, cool. Um, I actually, I walked out of that meeting and I called my sponsee in Florida and I was like, yo, let me tell you about these women up here in Baltimore. <laughs> And I was like, this chick like is a literal representation of sunshine. And let me tell you how she talks. And let me tell you what she said to me. Um, and that woman actually ended up being my sponsor for my first year up here in Maryland. And she was everything that I needed. She's um, the human embodiment of sunshine. She is like, she's a radiant individual. She is, she's peppy. And she like, um, she like fiercely loves God. And that was scary to me. And everything I didn't know I needed at the time. Um, and she like, that was my rider for the first 10 months that I was up here. I mean, she went through, we went through some stuff together. We went through the steps together again. Um, and you know, like we said last week, my first 10 months in Maryland, I I pretty much still hated it here. Um, but she was the one who encouraged me to get connected. Um, she was the one who really changed my relationship with my higher power. Um, like I said, my mom, uh, 
you know, messing around with the religious cults. I grew up in a, a denomination of a, a fear, like a fear, you had to fear God. Um, and I had major issues with God and I would not have told you that like my first three years of sobriety. Um, but she was the one who, who really changed my relationship and changed my like spiritual views. Um, and this last year, oh my gosh, this last year has been, whoo, a ride. Um, yeah, so year, year five, um, right after I celebrated my anniversary, I had a vertical sleeve gastrectomy, um, and that was pretty life-changing. I had to buy a new car for the second or third time last year. That was the Honda. Third third car in the year. Third car in the year, yep. Um, I, I went through... Um, basically, what happened was I got away from... So, recovery for me has been my journey back to my spiritual like my higher power. Um, and I think that anyone in recovery who is actually working a program will tell you that, um, recovery is like clearing the channel back to God or the higher power that you choose. Um, and you know, I, when I was up here, um, when I first moved up here and I was completely isolated for those like eight to 10 months, um, I, I really truly believe that my higher power knew that I needed that. Um, I needed to get close with God and I think I needed to get close with God to be able to take on the things that happened this year. Um, but I was, you know, I was, I was 10 months into Maryland and I was feeling good. Like I hated my job, but not as much as I hated it when I first moved here. Things were happening. Like I was making friends. We were, that was like the pool summer. Like I, mm-hmm. I just gone through like some pretty significant therapy for my sexual trauma. It was the summer of Tinder 19. Like I was like living like like life was good um and and i would have told you at the time that i was doing everything that i needed um and the only thing that i wasn't doing was keeping consistent contact with my higher power um and that set us up for a rocky uh year five and um you know all this stuff just started happening back to back like i I did i hated my job um my car my truck died. Um, I bought a new car three months later, that car got totaled. Um, I had surgery, which was wonderful and very difficult all at the same time. Um, yeah. And I just, I, I took my will back and I thought that I could really like do this on my own. And I would have told you, you know, all of that to say, um, I started, unknowing or at least not consciously like I it wasn't it wasn't a conscious thought but I started living the life that I was living when I was drinking just without alcohol um you know I I was what I would consider now to be like living kind of recklessly and I got myself um life got a little wild and I had a situation come up and um yo I remember it like it was yesterday I um I went to dinner at Blue Martini with a friend. I was around so much alcohol um, and I had a Coke and I had loaded nachos and I was good. And I was driving home and um, I started craving, craving alcohol. And um, I, I was bound and determined to get alcohol. 
and I, I call, you know, I did everything they told me to do. I, I called my sponsor. My sponsor was busy. She texted me um, to make sure that I was okay. And I told her that I thought I was going to drink. And she, you know, was basically like, don't. And text me in the morning. Uh, and that wasn't really sufficient. And I drove to Trader Joe's. And I was bound and determined to get a $6 bottle. Not a $6. But I was going to get multiple bottles of $6 wine. Um, I texted my roommate. Steph, obviously, and uh, you know, I knew there was a bottle of wine under the Christmas tree, and I was like, "Yo, I need you to 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 move that, uh, like hide it from me, because I don't I don't really trust myself right now." And she texted me, and she said, "Are you okay?" And I was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna be fine. I'm on my way home." And I started driving home, and I pulled over into Trader Joe's, and I was about to go buy a bottle of wine. And the funny thing is, so when I first got sober, um, my sponsor, that old timer, she used to tell me. You're going to come to a time in your drinking where the only thing standing between you and a drink is God. And that's how you'll know. Like, that's how you'll know your higher power. And I was like, all right, cool. That's going to happen at like year 20, right? Like, <laughs> I'm going to be deep into this. I'm going to have d- double digit sobriety and, and God's going to step in between me and a drink. And the f- it, it is, it's kind of comical now. Um, but liquor laws in Maryland are very different than liquor laws in Florida. And Missouri. So Trader Joe's doesn't sell wine. Spoiler alert. Trader Joe's doesn't sell wine. Um, So I walk into Trader Joe's on a mission. I find an associate and I'm like, where's the wine? And she looked at me like I had six heads. And she was like, we don't sell wine here. And I paused in that moment. And I knew that that was God. And you texted me at at that time. And you were like, are you okay? And I texted you back and I said, yeah, I'm almost home. And I bought a bottle of sparkling lemonade and I came home and I cried on this couch, ugly cried on this couch for like an hour and a half. Um, And I had a come to Jesus moment the next morning uh, that I needed to step it up. And I didn't, you know, I was, that was when we were going to lay Risa Arlington Mm -hmm. was the next day. And we were on the metro on the way back and our dear friend Ricka called me and she, you know, I, I thought I was doing everything right. I was going to meetings. I was, um, I was hanging out with fellowship. I was sponsoring a girl and she was like, the one thing that you didn't say that you're doing is praying and meditating and turning your will and your life over. Um, and she was right. And, and you know, the, the thing that came back to me in that moment was my sponsor saying the only thing that's going to come between you and, and, and a drink is God. And, and then you'll know, like, you'll know your higher powers got your back. And, um, that was seven months ago. And, um, you know, I changed some things. I got a new sponsor. I started praying and meditating on a consistent basis. Um, praying more so than meditating, but I've picked up the meditation game and, you know, I haven't, um, I haven't had the desire to drink since then. And the last, uh, I mean, the last seven months were better than the first, what's that, six, five, five months of the, of my year five. But, um, yeah, it's been, uh, I'm glad I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see five years. You know, I get weird around my anniversary. I was like counting down the hours. I was like three more out, like last night. I was like three more hours and then just stay away from alcohol for three more. Like I wasn't even, but I was like, stay away from alcohol for three more hours. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's my story. 
It's really powerful story. Thank you. That bottle of sparkling lemonade sat in the refrigerator for a very long time. I don't think we even drank it. No, I did. You did? Yes. I just knew that I needed to buy. I I drank it, but it was only like a couple months ago, maybe. Really? It was in that fridge for at least three to four months. Maybe it was just a representation of. It was. It was a. It was. But I wasn't about to walk out of that store with nothing. I wasn't like, y'all not going to clown me like this. I'm walking out of here with a bottle of sparkling something. (laughs) And it was pink lemonade. Remember I said it right there too? Yes. Well, I was I like, I almost bought wine, but I ended up buying sparkling pink lemonade. Well, because I know you said I, I'm on my way home and I'm like, okay, cool. And then like 20 minutes rolled by and I'm like, she's not home yet. Oh, that's right. You checked in. You asked me if I was okay. Because I was, you had, I was you in had the city. Taken a too, you had taken too long to get back home. Yeah. Like, I know how long it takes to get from where you said you were. I'm like, she should have been home by now. What's going on? Yeah, it was that, that detour to Trader Joe's. That I, was, I mean, I wasn't going to tell anybody about it either. Whew, man. Alcoholism. It's a bitch. And that bottle of wine that I had to hide is still in this house because I have not found somebody to give it away to. I saw that the other day. I was like, is that the bottle of wine from under the Christmas tree? It is. So it was a gift that had been given to me at Christmas time. Um, and I'm like, what the fuck am I going to do with this? Uh, so, yes, yeah, so I haven't found anybody to like, give it away to. Although I think I might just bring it to work and like stick it in the break room and just walk away. and Put a note on it and be disappear. like, please don't drink on the clock, but please take this. Yeah, that's, that's my plan. Sounds good. I like it. So that is my journey uh, in sobriety. And now, Steph, I think it's your turn. Guess I'm going to share mine. Yeah. So, see, as we talked about um, on our last podcast, our, our sobriety dates are really, really close. So mine is June 29th, 2015. Um, and, and so I feel like it's easier if I tell my story in the likeness of, like, the Marvel Universe and keep it out of, tell it outside chronological order because that's kind of the order in which I experienced things. Um, because as, as we discussed, like I didn't grow up in chaos. I had like that lovely, like two parent suburban household. Um, so, so yes, we talked last time, like I moved to Baltimore on June 20th of 2015. Um, so my sobriety date, you know, occurred nine days after I moved here. And so the way that that happened was um, I moved to Baltimore for a job. And as, as part of that job, you know, I work in healthcare, so I had to get a licensure from the state um, to practice. And I was really actually quite upset that whenever I was filling out my application for said licensure, it was 17 obnoxious pages long, which is ridiculous. I'm pretty sure in Missouri our, our application for licensure was like five. Um, but one of the questions that they ask you in these character and fitness questions, as so they say, is have you, this is very Maryland specific, they ask, have you ever been arrested for a DUI? So whenever um, a lot of other states or a lot of other um, agencies only ask if you've been convicted of things, not if you'd been arrested, those are two very different questions. Um, because as I learned from my attorney, I have not been convicted of a DUI, but I was in fact arrested for a DUI. Um, I believe that technically would have been June 21st of 2014. So basically it was the, the evening of my birthday, exactly a year prior to my moving to Baltimore. 
So what happened that night was, um, it was my birthday and I'm not even going to call this person my friend, but she was a girl that I hung out with and spent time with. Um, and she had tickets to the Cardinals game, um, because as we know, Cardinals are one of the only baseball teams worth watching regularly. Hell yeah. I'll defend that till I die. I'm sorry, or Orioles fans, you'll learn one day. Um, I'm going to get in trouble for that one oh, from somebody. Oh, big time. But it's not like it's the Ravens, like, it's the Orioles. Yeah, but you know people here are real big O's fans. Yeah. It's, it's weird. I feel for those people. They haven't been, yeah, we don't have enough. Any, um, so I went to the game for my birthday, and, and so, you know, we live in suburbia, and so there's like a whole like metro link that we take to like get down and stuff. So we left our car, we parked my car at my job, my place of employment, and then her mom took us into the um, or her yeah her mom came and picked me up and drove us to the the train station. We were getting off to like go down to downtown, and I like I knew I had already I didn't start drinking on my way to like. Yeah, I started drinking on the train down, but I brought, like, a water bottle full of rum with me. Because, um, like, you have to pregame. For one, like, I'm very sometimes obnoxiously frugal. Um, so if there's going outs and drinking to be had, like, I'm going to do some of it at home um, where it's cheaper. I also feel like a bottle, a water bottle full of alcohol is, like, just an accessory for an alcoholic. Like, well, yeah, like, we don't, if you're out, if you are walking around with a Deer Park bottle... Mm-hmm. Full of anything other than water, you're you might uh, you might you be might one be of us. Alcoholic. You yeah. you could very well be an alcoholic. Um. So so yeah so I drank that whole bottle like going in and I might have had like a quarter of it with like some other kind of mixer in there, but it was like it was rum so it was like smooth, mm. like rum is so easy to drink and that's why I drink so much of it. Mm. Um. So we get, we get down there, and, like, for me, like, that's nothing. Um, we have a few beers while we're down there. Um, there's another person that, like, this girl I was with was, like, friends with who was there for, like, a work party. So after the game ended, we ended up going to another bar with these people, um, and then they were going to then take us back because, like, the Metrolink stops running at, like, midnight. Mm-hmm. So they are going to then, like, drive us back. So I was like, okay. And I remember at some point, like, yelling at, at this other girl's boyfriend, because he probably did something obnoxious, but, like, that's usually what happens when a bunch of people are drinking. Um, and I don't, I like to run my mouth. It's amazing that I didn't get into actual physical altercations. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so, so we leave downtown St. Louis, and we're going back, and I am just, for whatever reason, under the assumption that they take us back to the metro station parking lot, um, but they took us back to my car, um, which makes sense because there wasn't actually a car waiting for us at the metro station. I'm probably just made this up in my mind as a way to like absolve myself of like, you know, making excuses for what happened. Um, but they, we went back to my car. So, um, you know, we're winding down the evening. It's, you know, 1230, pushing one o'clock at night, something like that. Um, so, like, I, I wasn't done. Like, I'm like, okay, the game is over. Like, we're done with phase one of the evening. We're going to enter into phase two. And so the girl that I was with, um, she was ready for bed. She had had quite enough. Um, she couldn't hang, really. So I was like, okay, well, I'll take you home, and then I'm going to go over to another friend's house because they're still up, and I'm still up, and it's my birthday. So I go and drop her off. 
Um, and like to show like how my thought process was, like I, I made a mental note that she didn't actually offer me um, the option to stay at her place, like to sleep on her couch or anything. Like I just, I do really remember that at the time that like she didn't actually offer for me to, to stay at her place. But I also make, made it very clear that like I'm going out to continue my partying. So like why would she have? Um, so I leave her house and go into my friend's house and I run into a checkpoint. Um, and like this checkpoint was on like a highway. It was a 60 mile per hour speed limit and they closed down like all the lanes. And I was like, oh shit. But I'm like, be cool, Steph. Like you've driven drunk plenty of times in your life. Like this is no thing. Um, and, and so like I go through this whole process. The, the officer asked me like what I'm doing and I'm like, oh, it's my birthday. I went to the Cardinals game. I'm just going over to my friend's house where I'm going to stay for the night. Like in my mind being very like nonchalant about the whole thing. Um, and he, like, goes back to talk to his buddies and comes back and, like, what? Can I ask a clarifying question? Yes. They pull everyone over at checkpoints? Yes. Do they test everyone? Do they breathalyze everyone? No. They, oh. like, they talk to everyone. But they only breathalyze suspected But people. they only pull people out of the car if they suspect that you've been oh, drinking. Oh, interesting. Okay. I didn't know that. I've never, I've never been in a checkpoint. Yeah, so I've, they, they do them all the time in Missouri. Like, I've been through many of them, but this was the only one I'd been through while drinking. Got it. Okay. Um... So, yeah, I thought, like, things were great, um, no big deal, any of that. Uh, and then, so he asked me to get out of the car, and I'm like, okay, this is obviously, like, some kind of formality, and, like, puts me through a whole field sobriety test, which I think I do really well at. Um, I distinctly remember one point whenever he's asking me to go heel the toe down a straight line and then back, I distinctly remember being very upset that, like, he wasn't watching me because I could hear him talking to, to his other cop buddies um, and like his back was turned and I I was like very mad that I'm like you're not even watching what a good job I'm doing um I think that means the, you weren't doing that good of a job well the thought hadn't occurred to me that maybe it was just a formality um <laughs> and that like it didn't matter how well I did on this this thing and like puts me through all this stuff and then like he puts handcuffs on me and and that like really sunk in for me because I'm like wait what's happening like I'm supposed to be getting back in my car now um but I remember like the the weight of the handcuffs was really heavy because like I'd never messed with real handcuffs before like I was a good kid I got one detention in high school and it was a bullshit detention um we can we can circle back to that at another date but like it was just it was a bullshit detention and I didn't actually deserve it um but, like, I, I was a good kid. Like, I never got in trouble. Even, like, between me and my brother, like, he was the troublemaker. Um, so I was like, wait a minute. This isn't happening. And then they pull me inside. So so at checkpoints, or at this particular checkpoint, they they had, you know, their, their squad cars. But they also had this, like, deluxe RV camper on the side of the highway. And, and that's what they, they took me inside. And they had me sit down in one spot and they were like basically telling me that I was being arrested for be for driving while intoxicated. And I was like, what are you talking about? Um, and like sort of I, this like this part gets really, really fuzzy, but I feel like they were probably asking me like what I actually drank and stuff. And then they like moved me to another seat. So this was like would have been the little it was like a tiny little seating area right behind like the driver's seat um, where there's just a little mini table and they had a breathalyzer machine up on there 
And um, so then they gave me the breathalyzer test. And I remember feeling like I was going to pass out from like exhaling so much. Um, And then they were like telling me like they were arresting me and going through all this stuff and starting to fingerprint me. And I just started bawling um, because like like it, it just hit me and like I didn't know what else to do. I just started sobbing. And I remember one of the guys was like a, a super dick to me. Um, and, and like, granted, he had a, a valid point where he was like, maybe you shouldn't have been drinking and driving. And I was like, but can't you see, like, I'm a good kid. Um, and then like, as they were finishing up processing all the paperwork, they like sat me at like, in what would have been the RV's actual like dining area where the table was. It was like me and these three other like middle-aged men that were like in their 40s or 50s and like they all very much had this look about them like oh first time eh (laughs) and I just remember it was just so uncomfortable I was like sobbing and I'm like all these people are staring at me and I just didn't know what else to do and then I so I also honestly thought they told me I would be able to go home they told me I would be able to leave there that night they weren't gonna like take me anywhere like downtown or, or anything like that which I interpreted to mean, like, I would be driving my own car home. <laughs> and I remember being very upset that they, like, towed my car. And I was like, you said I could leave. And they're like, yeah, but you're not driving. And I was like, why? <laughs> Didn't get it at all. Like, I was still drunk. So, so like, God bless my friends. Like, they had been drinking. And, like, I guess they hadn't been drinking as much as I have. But they're like, do you have someone that can come get you? And I'm like, yes. And I just told them, like, my friends are good. They can come pick me up. So my friends, like, they were very hesitant because they had been drinking, but they came and picked me up anyway and brought me back. And I, like, sobbed for a little while, drank a little bit more, and then went to bed. And, like, the very first thing I did in the morning was call an attorney, um, which I happened to have because I remembered I remembered my the, – the doctor that I'd used to work for had talked about, like, having a – getting a speeding ticket and was, like, coming and boasting about, like, she got a, an attorney that, like – is actually like a criminal attorney and all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, that's the guy. Um, and like, for whatever reason, I had, I had his name and number. I remembered it. Cause I had to like send some correspondence at work. So I like called him, got the appointment set up and, and all that. And then the, the, the very next call was to my parents and they were just like, oh, bad luck. And I was like, oh, okay. I'm actually not in that much trouble. Just bad luck. All right. Um, and my, my dad was just like, you know, that, that happens. And he told me about a couple other of his friends that had got DUIs. And it was just like a, you know, sometimes shit just happens and you'll know better for next time. That's how you know you were a good kid. Because if I would have come home with a DUI, my family would not have been like, oh, this just happens. Yeah. I digress. Yeah, well, that and, and I, I think that coupled with, like, the reality that, like, my parents didn't know what my drinking really looked like. Right. Um. Because if they had, they might have not used, they might have not been so cavalier about, you know, me getting a DUI. And, like, the wild part was, like, they didn't tell anybody. They didn't even tell my brother. Hmm. So, and some of that was, like, I feel like they didn't want, like, the shame out there of, like, people knowing. So, like, like God bless my parents. They're amazing people. Because, um, yeah, they didn't tell anybody until I said, like, it was okay if you need to bring it up. Um to like help somebody else um so yeah so met with the attorney started getting all that stuff like winded down I had to uh, I had to go through a few different courses and classes so I had to go through I guess Missouri we called it a SATOP class was like a safety and alcohol traffic something or other 
Um, but basically a class where they, like, they went and talked about all kinds of drugs and alcohol and how they all work and all this stuff. I had to do, like, a one-on-one with the counselor. Um, and thinking back now, like, she actually was asking me the 20 questions. I didn't know that. And, and I didn't... For people who don't know, what are the 20 questions? So the 20 questions are, like, 20 questions that you ask yourself if you suspect you might have a problem with alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, the tricky part with that is you... You really are better served to go through those questions with someone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't have them in front of me, but like a lot of them was like, you know, alcohol affects my family issues. And like for me, like, no, it didn't affect my family issues, at least not in the way that I was conceiving it. Because like I never got into drunken arguments with anybody in my family. I never even got into drunken arguments with um, a good chunk of my friends. Okay, Megan has pulled these up for me. So, do you lose time from work due to drinking? Well, in my circumstances, like, at the time, like, no, I hadn't lost time at work due to drinking because my ass showed up to work hungover as hell. Um, I didn't call out a single day from work in 10-plus years. Um, I was there, and I there was one day I distinctly remember. So, I worked for almost nine years at the Bass Pro Shop in St. Louis, and they, on the weekends, they would do a lot of activities with kids, and one such day I was particularly hungover and scheduled to work in the promo area, and they were doing leather stamping. If you know what leather stamping is, it's where you take um, different designs that are on like little metal uh, stamps, and you take a rubber mallet and you whack it into the piece of leather to kind of put an indention of like whatever your pattern is. Um, But I was hungover as hell, and so spending four hours with kids whacking on rubber mallets was not ideal. And as soon as I found out that's what they were doing, and like my eyes apparently like probably showed like the fear of God, she was like, you're hungover, aren't you? And I'm like, yes. And so she like was so kind enough to move me to the boat showroom where I could just practice casting into buckets and like it was just quiet and God bless that woman that day. Um, So let's say like another one. Have you ever felt remorse after drinking? Well, no, because I lived by a couple different mottos one being if i don't remember it it didn't happen mm. and the second one being like like a case sarah sarah like oh well it happened i can't change it get over it mm-hmm. um you know is drinking jeopardizing your job or business well like no um so so a lot of these questions like did not apply to me um at least not in the way that i ever thought about and i remember this lady asked me um about my history with blackouts um how many times you blacked out and i i knew the answer was not to be honest (laughs) instinctually i knew i can't tell this woman how many times i blacked out because i couldn't actually tell you how many times i blacked out um because at this point you know i blacked out probably two-thirds to three-quarters of the time that i drank um and i drank pretty frequently uh And I didn't necessarily know that at the time, but there was a lot of times that, like, I actually blacked out. Um, I always thought of it as just going to sleep. But the reality was, like, I didn't put myself to sleep. Um, I passed out. Um, Very different things. Like, I did not intentionally go to bed half the time. Especially, like, if I was, like, out at my friend's house. Like, God bless Rachel. She's such a wonderful human. Um, But, like... And she comes into a big part, like, you know, after this DUI. So, anyway, I'm, I'm spending a lot of time here on this section, but it's, like, where I first, like, encounter, in my opinion, real alcoholism, mm-hmm. where it actually, like, 
affects my life, like really affects me. Um, so, so yeah, I had to go through those classes. I knew I had to lie about my blackouts. Um, fortunately, I did not have to lie about my family's history with drugs and alcohol because there wasn't any. Like nobody else in my, my direct family drank much. Um, I think my parents drank mostly because like I pressured them to do it. Like it was something we would do together and I'd be like, oh mom, let me make this new recipe for you. Um, and like those, those kinds of things. But like now, like, I don't even know if they keep, they, I don't even know if they keep alcohol in the house anymore. Mm. So I ended up getting a blow and go in my car or, um, as it's called in legal terms, an ignition interlock device. Uh, so one of those contraptions, they wire up to your car and you can't start your car without blowing into it and you have to be sober to do so. Um, and they like recommend you don't even use mouthwash with alcohol because it'll pick up that that trace amount. So you have to blow like a zero. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Because um, I remember like I had to go I had to go buy new mouthwash. And I wouldn't just throw my other mouthwash away. Like it sat under my sink for many many months. Because oh, I'm frugal as hell. Yes. So. Um, there was a couple different times that, like, I failed that blow-and-go. Um, and, like, not even thinking about it. One, one time I remember was, was after Christmas. I was, I was at my parents' house for Christmas. So, so during the time that this happened, I, I, w- I moved out of my parents' house. I was renting out um, a basement of this girl's house. Um, so I was, like, living on my own. It was great. Loved it. Um, I mean, I... I loved it, but then I also like hated it because it was really isolating, and I was actually kind of miserable in reality. Um, actually, like I like to glamorize things that really aren't glamorous. It was actually pretty miserable. Um, but at any rate, so so I was at my parents' house for Christmas, and then I was I was leaving their house. It was probably ten ten thirty at night, um, and I was leaving the house to go over to this guy's house um, that you know I had been casually like hooking up with. And I went over to his house, and I remember trying to leave my parents' house, and couldn't start my car. Like, it wouldn't start. It was like, beep, you know. So I was like, okay, I guess we're not leaving yet. So then I went back inside, and then about 40 minutes later, decided to go back and try it again, and then it started. And then, of course, I still went over to that that dude's house. Um, So that was one time. I forget. I remember the story. Remember the story about your coworker. You couldn't. Oh yeah, we're getting to that one. Okay. So I don't remember. There was a there was a second time that I don't remember it. I don't remember like the circumstances surrounding it. Um, but then this third this third instance, it was um, same same individual. I had stayed the night over at his house. Um, he was selling cars at the time and doing pretty well. Um, and so I remember for this was like shortly after Christmas. Um, it was in. January, um, but he had bought a a really nice bottle of scotch that I had said that I wanted. Um, so he bought that, and we like split it, but we drank the whole damn thing. And this was like, I don't know, an eighty dollar at least bottle of scotch. Um, and yeah, we we downed that whole thing. And so then the next morning, I'm trying to to get ready and leave to go to work, and I can't start my car. And I'm like, shit. So I go back in, and I'm like, hey, I can't start my car. Is it cool if I just hang out for a little while? And so I, like, I hung out for like an hour. 
Because um, the, the other tricky part is like on these blow and goes, it doesn't tell you how much over you are, just that you're over. Um, so you could be like 0 0.02 over, or you could be like 0.9 over, not mm -hmm. 0.9, that's death. Yeah, like you, yeah. you could be like, it doesn't tell you how far over you are. So, so yeah, I came back in, waited about an hour, went back out, still couldn't start it. Um, and then at that point, I was, I was already about to be late for work. Um, so then I called one of the ladies that I worked with. She was the only person at my office that knew that I had a DUI and that I had this device. And I had called her and told her the story. And like, her name was Vicky. She was just, she was a lovely lady. She had chicken. She would bring me eggs. She was wonderful. She was so sweet. Um, but I told her like what had happened and like what was going on. And I was like, can you come get me? So that, this was a Tuesday that this all happened. So I went to this dude's house on a Monday night, and this was a Tuesday morning because on Tuesday afternoons, I went into the city because we saw patients at our downtown office. Um, and I was like, I gotta get there by a certain time so that I can get to the downtown office. Um, so I was like, we had concocted a whole story um, for her to like leave to come and get me. So she was gonna come out I would drive her car, she would soberly start my car, and we'd both drive back to the office. Um, but then she hit some mad traffic on her way out, and now it was a, probably about 10 o'clock, and I finally, I was like, I'm gonna try it one more time. And I went back out, tried it, it started up. So I called her, I'm like, all good, I got her started, let's, let's head back. And she had like just finally gotten to a point where like she could get back and turn around from the highway. So, so it kind of worked out, but like, that didn't seem weird to me. To, like, not be able to start my car the morning after I was drinking. You plug for all those potential alcoholics. If you can't start your blow and go on a Tuesday morning, you might be an alcoholic. Right. Like, like, and, and it was wild, like, the, the idea of, like, how many mornings I woke up still drunk. Mm. Um, like, I only mm. happened to know about that one because it affected me starting my car. Um, mm. That's real. Yeah. So... So after that, I ended up having to drive back to the, uh, the company to have them reset it. Um, and I really thought I was going to get hosed with, like, that one. Because, like, they, they tell you, like, if they have to reset it, like, they report it to um, whatever government agency monitors these things. What do they have to reset it for? Because you try, if you oh, try to start it, if you try to start your car when you're over, like, when you've been drinking, it, like, records it. And then, so I, I set it into violation. If you, if you blow, if you try to start your car after you've been drinking three times, it, it goes into violation. Okay, okay. Um, so I had, I had went into violation. I thought I was going to get, like, reamed over that, but nothing ended up happening. I guess they expect people to do that. Mm -hmm. They just expect people to do a lot more than, like, once. So, but I had to like make up a whole story because they were only open like during my office business hours. So I had to like tell them like, I, I have an appointment. I have to like leave and go do stuff. And like for someone like me, again, like has never, I've never called out. A, I went like 10 years without calling out of work. Mm. So then I got to come up with all these like reasons to be out of the office for all these various appointments um, where I like have to go meet my attorney and I have to go to court a couple different times and I got to go like all the stuff with the the interlock device so like it was it was a lot and it it made me really question a lot about like who I am um because I'd always thought of myself as like a just a mediocre little white girl from suburbia like 
nothing exciting ever happens to me. So in all of that, you never like question whether or not you're an alcoholic? Nope. Not, you, like, not once did I ever think that I had an irregular relationship with alcohol. Not yeah, even once. I know. It's, it's so interesting because I know that you, like, well, I won't spoil it, but it's just, I think this is, this is an interesting period in your life. Yeah, so I, I really thought that, like, I was very, very much the pinnacle of average um, and normal and, like, everybody, everybody acts like this. Like, this is how I... This is how it is for everyone, and that's why we don't talk about it. Um, that's like how I lived my life. I have like a severe issue with FOMO, which is like fear of missing out, and like I just thought we all suffered from that, and that's why we didn't talk about it because like why talk about something we all have to deal with? Um, when in reality, like it's very much the opposite. Like we actually very much all talk about the stuff that we all have to deal with. Mm. Um, but that thought hadn't dawned on me. Um, so at any rate, so that's like my, my, my DUI story. Um, I was, I then, I found out in April of 2015 that like I had the opportunity to move to Baltimore and I was taking the job and all that stuff. So I like had to like kickstart it and get like a final court date set so I could wrap up all that stuff before I moved. Um, and like that all happened. And, and so then I get to Baltimore. Um, yeah, I got to get sober here. (laughs) And, um. So I'm in Baltimore and I now have filled out this application. I submitted all of the copies of my court documents, all that stuff, and they come back and hit me with a, we will give you a conditional approval of your licensure contingent upon completion of this course. Um, and they gave me a contact person there, like somebody's going to be reaching out to you, blah, 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 um, and you're good to go. So I'm like, okay, at least I got an answer. Um, so then... June 29th, I get this phone call um, from from a lady with this program that like gives me the the general overview of like what's gonna happen, which is the long and short of it is you're gonna come in and like three days to go through this intake interview with with our team. We're just gonna talk about you know you, your history, your family's history, um, you know what the program's gonna look like, all this other stuff. Um, we are going to drug test you and we expect you to be, you know, to test negative for everything, including alcohol. And so I was like, okay, great. Thank you for your time. Um, got all the information. And the very first thing I did after I got off the phone was Google how long does it take alcohol to get out of your system? Because I needed to know, like, when was the last time that I could drink? Again, like, nothing seemed odd about that to me. Like, like how would that not be the first thing you do? Like, I just need to know. Like, it seemed very, like intellectual of me um so it turns out like alcohol takes two to three days to get out of your system completely so i was like well fuck guess i'm not drinking anymore wait did you just say it seemed very intellectual of you yes i'm sorry go ahead anyway so so it turns out like i couldn't drink after that so like my last drink had been you know the night before on this like shitty tender date where i had two craft beers um and like that, that was, was your last drink yes Dang. like i didn't get like any like big huzzah no like exciting Dang. anything i was like two two beers on a shitty date and i never heard from the dude again like oh, he ghosted me man. he like turned back around like a couple years later and i'm like go away wow. anyway so so yeah so i get to this intake they 
they talked to me for like two hours about my family history, um, what their relationship was like with drugs and alcohol, what my relationship had been like. And again, like I lied the whole time about the frequency with which I drink and what happened to me when I drink. Because the reality is, again, like two thirds to three quarters of the time, like I blacked out um, and I have no idea what happened to me. Um, and like I, for the majority of my college years from like, you know, 19 until age 26, yeah, 26, because was, it was on my 26th birthday when I got the DUI. So from 19 until age 26, like, I was playing the mad, like, the game, um, what's the right balance of, like, when to drink, how much to drink, mm. what to drink, to not black out. Like, that was, that was the game that I was playing every time. Some, sometimes the game was just straight up black out because I had a shit day. But otherwise, it was like, when do I need to drink at what time? And, like, it was like I was trying to... I was trying to do some kind of research. For a minute, I was documenting it. Really? Yeah, I had like a notebook, and I'd be like, I did X, Y, and Z things in this succession, um, and it worked. And then like I would try and repeat it. Nope, be blacked out. It was very inconsistent when I would black out, and at what part of the night. Sometimes it would be like the wee hours of the morning. Sometimes I'm like on my second drink. Um, it was very inconsistent, and it was very frustrating for me to like try and pinpoint what the secret recipe was for something so inconsistent. Um, but again, like the thought of being an alcoholic had not even once occurred to me. Um, I just, it like was never a big deal because I didn't, I didn't do a lot of really shitty things to other people whenever I was drunk. Um, I would, you know, I was, I was like my, just like me, but on like the next level, like I was still funny and joking and cracking jokes and and all that. I was a little bit ruthless, um, but it worked out in my favor because at the time that like I'm being like saying really shitty things, like it's to other people that are also drunk and they don't remember and everybody can laugh about it at that point. Like if I had said those things sober to another person, like I would have been in a lot of trouble because mm. um, I said some really mean things. Like my first thoughts today can still be really, really mean and I just mm. don't say them out loud no more. Mm -hmm. I'm like, God, can you please help me with this? First thoughts always wrong. Um, yeah, and usually mean. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes funny though. And when they're funny, I will say them because let's face it, we all deserve a little humor. Oh, so I, I also thought everybody blacked out as much as I did. Um, I really, really did. And like we all, I thought we all played the game of piecing together the night and that we all had different pieces of the puzzle. Um, but reality was probably mostly just me that needed like puzzle pieces filled in. Um, and most of the time, like it was fine. Especially in college, whenever like the biggest issue or problem that happened was like me eating my own food drunkenly and like yelling at people trying to figure out who did it when it was me. Um, or like eating my roommate's food, like with my fingers, but like not finger food, <laughs> like mashed potatoes. <laughs> it's a whole thing. These oh. four cheese mashed potatoes, they are fire, but they were so good. And I was drunk and I'm like, I ain't getting a spoon. Just... Did you like eat all of them or were there like finger marks? No, there was definitely Oh my marks. gosh. <laughs> Definite oh. finger marks. <laughs> Yo. Yeah, like food. It's always been a thing for me. I like it a lot. Um, but I really have a newfound, like a true, 
appreciation for my blackouts because there are a lot of things that I was spared from. A lot of memories that I don't have to have because of them. And like, I really, I took that for granted whenever I was drinking. Um, it was really more of an annoyance. Um, but I never actually spent a lot of time like thinking about like the real fear behind what could have happened. Cause I, you know, get drunk and wander off. Like I'm small, I walk real fast and I can weave through crowds easily. So it makes for me frequently getting lost at big events. Um, you know, namely one of the Mardi Gras. So St. Louis has the second largest Mardi Gras parade, um, Mardi Gras party behind that of New Orleans. Cause they're like our sister city. Um, but like me and my friends would go down there and one year I went, I was just sobbing because a guy that I liked did not like me back in the same way. Um, and then like it ruined their night. And then I don't remember if we went out again after that, like, like later on in the evening, like round two or not. Um, but then another time when I was down there, like just got completely lost, slept on a loading dock by the car for three hours because I'd never, I never... I never got lost. I got separated from people, but I have an excellent sense of direction and I was always able to find my way back to the starting point. Like wherever wherever we originated the day from, like I could get back to that point. Like what do you, for what whatever do you, reason. I'm like a homing pigeon. Yeah. I'm a drunken homing pigeon. A um, drunken homing pigeon. It you know, it's effective. So yeah, got lost from my friends, beaconed my way back to the car didn't have the keys for said car so I just slept on the loading dock in downtown St. Louis in the graffiti district um and then my friend finally like came back to the car and was like you want to go to another bar and I'm like of course I do we went to another bar it was dead because it's Mardi Gras so it's like February and cold um and then he was like you want to go to the blues game and I'm like I've never been to a hockey game hell yeah we go to a hockey game and and I'm like I want nachos which is also how I know how drunk I was because I don't like ballpark nachos. Like the cheese is like plastic to me. Um, but nonetheless, I like went to go get nachos. Couldn't remember where our seats were because that was not the origination point. I remembered what door we came in at the rink, like the arena, but not like where our seats were. So I went down what I thought was like where our seats were. And I'm like, well, this isn't right. And I'm like, there's a group of people. They look like they're having fun. I'm like you guys look like you're having a lot of fun and I don't know where I'm supposed to sit, so I'm going to join you. And just sat with them and spent the rest of the game with them and then left with them and then went back to their house in South City and, like, didn't think anything of it. And, like, for the most part, I can, like, pick good people because, like, these were really nice people. The one dude was a respiratory therapist. Um, He drove me around the next morning trying to find my friend's car who was also so drunk he couldn't find his own car. Um, so, like, they're very nice people. But, like, that could have gone so wrong. Mm. It could have mm-hmm. been so bad. Um, but then there are other other instances that really did go bad. And, like, I know that I was raped while I was passed out. Like, you just wake up and, like, you have that feeling um, where, like, somebody, like, like you had sex with a corn cob. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, that, that's not right. And, I'm, and I didn't know what that was for a little bit and then like the guy that I woke up with was not the guy that I fell asleep next to Mm. and then I remember confronting him later on and he like came up to me at a party and was like I'm sorry and I'm like I thought you told me you didn't remember what happened he's like yeah well I do and I'm like okay um and like I'm really grateful to not have that memory 
Mm-hmm. Um, cause there are a lot of women that, that have that memory, you know, you've already shared about that. And I, if I had, if I had to bear the weight of that, my life probably would have taken a very drastic and different turn mm-hmm. than what it did. Um, so in, in my sobriety, I've developed a lot of gratitude for the things that I don't have to remember. Um, but at any rate, so, so I'm leaving a lot of chunks of like my, my drinking out and like, you know, traumatic brain injury and stuff. And like, it sounds extreme, but like the reality is I, I sustained a very severe concussion directly because of drinking and probably like I could have drowned, but I, I didn't. Um, but that concussion like ended up costing me a job. And like, I didn't put the two together that the concussion due to drinking cost me the job until I was probably two years sober, Mm. um, which was like five years after the actual incident. Um, So, so back to like, it's probably July 2nd of 2015. And I'm just finishing up this intake and they're telling me like all the things that I have to do, which involves like checking in on an app every day, being randomly drug tested and meeting monthly with a counselor and like all these other things. Um, and I was like, why the hell did I move to Baltimore? This sucks. Cause I had to pay for it all too. And I'm like, screw you guys. You took enough of my money already. I was very mad, very mad. Um, but also like I can do a lot of things off of sheer spite alone um, and stubbornness. So I was like, fine, screw you guys. You don't want me to drink. I'll be the best non-drinker you've ever seen. And like, yeah, we see how well that worked out. (laughs) Two months in, I was so fucking miserable. Um, But at the same time, so I'd moved to Baltimore, didn't know a damn person. I attempted to go out to the bars to like just hang out and like watch sports and stuff. But like people got real weird Uh about that. And I learned very quickly to not say, oh no, thanks, I'm not drinking right now. Because everybody assumes you're pregnant. (laughs) <laughs> or had a medical condition, right? Yeah, and I'm like, we can't have that. So I just started saying, I don't drink, period. Um, and then guys would be like, why the fuck are you here then? And I also learned, like, okay, I guess we can't go to the bar anymore. Uh, one guy distinctly told me, I don't know how to talk to you. And I'm like, you should probably have that looked at if you can't <laughs> talk to a woman who's not drinking. That might be a personal oh. issue for you to address, sir. So if you were at the Charles Village pub sometime between July and August of 2015, like, go see someone about that. Um, So I turned to a dating app because my theory was I just needed to get out and meet people and I can't drink. So the silver lining of that is at least if the guy I'm out on a date with is a weirdo and a creep, like, I won't be too drunk to drive myself home. That was my silver linings. And I'm like, all right, dating app it is. And the first guy that I ended up going out with was a bartender. Um, so I decided, like, it would be cool to just go out to the bar, sit, watch whatever, like, it was football preseason, watch whatever game was on, um, and then, you know, decide if I wanted to have a real date with this individual. And uh, pulling up, getting in there, getting to see it, all that, you know, he asks, what do you want to drink? And I'm like, I don't drink. And he's like, hey, cool, me neither. And it took me a minute. I'm like, you, you mean voluntarily? Like, you've chosen to not drink. Like, do you have a medical condition? Is there some reason for this? Are you just training for some kind of fitness competition? And, and this dude told me, like, he didn't drink because he was an alcoholic in recovery and he has an abnormal relationship with alcohol. And I told him that was fascinating. And, like, congratulations on your sobriety. Like, that's a really great accomplishment. 
um, I'm not an alcoholic, but like I'm super proud of like the work that you've done. Tell me more about what that is. And so he started telling me how he ended up, like what he was like. And he showed me like his before and after pictures, which were quite astonishing. Um, and what he did to like stop drinking. But also like this thought still had not occurred to me because his story was like full blown, like alcoholic, like exactly what you'd think of for someone in their mid twenties being an alcoholic. Not, not, it did not look like me. Um, so again, like, I still don't think I was an alcoholic. Um, but at about the same time that I met this guy, I also had to go to the Dick Perotti Lectures, which is a lecture series put on here at the Colmet Clinic, but they are available online, mm-hmm. um, the, whole, the whole series. I didn't know they were online at the time and I was going in person. Um, but, but Dick Perotti, like, it's eight, eight lectures, they're two hours long, and he describes like, everything about alcoholism and addiction. And like the sciencey part behind it, which is very interesting to me because I'm sciencey minded and analytical and I like to learn the why behind things and how shit works. Um, so at the same time that I'm going to these lectures, then this dude tells me about how he like went through the program about Alcoholics Anonymous and like what it actually is and all these 12 steps. And I'm like, that's really cool for you. I'm glad you found like something that works. I don't need that. I'm not an alcoholic, but I'd love to meet some other people that don't drink, so I actually have something to go do socially, and like some other people I can talk to, because I didn't know anybody in Baltimore. So he invited me to come with him to some meetings, and I'm like, that's cool, like, I got no problem meeting people. Um, so I started going to like these meetings, and wanted to impress this guy, so I'm like, I'm gonna sit, I'm gonna pay attention, I'm not, not gonna be on my phone, all this stuff. And like the wild thing that happened was these people that were like coming up and talking about like their story and like their relationship with alcohol, and they were, their relationships with alcohol did not look like mine. They were like, exi- most of them were very classically like what I would picture an alcoholic story being like. But the part that struck me was when they started talking about their feelings. And the one consistent thing that everybody that I had met with in those first couple of weeks, the one consistent piece that they had talked about was like that feeling of things just not quite being right. Mm-hmm. Um, but not being able to put their finger on it and that there was no worry about what was or was not quite right when they were drinking. And that I related to really hardcore. In addition to learning that heavy drinking and early onset alcoholism are the same thing, and the only differentiator is time, and that in time a heavy drinker will stop, and in time early onset, an early onset alcoholic goes heavier. Um, and I didn't have the luxury of time. I had six months minimum where I couldn't drink or I would lose my licensure and thus lose my job. And I, I wasn't willing to do that yet. In time, I might have been. Um, so it kept me from drinking long enough to continue to meet more sober members in the program um, until I found some that, that were like me. Um, and things with that dude turned south in a fairly short amount of time. Like, long enough for me to get, like, hooked and like emotionally invested um and like have my heart broken but like I wasn't at that point everybody I had met in Baltimore was was in the program and I was like well shit if I go out and drink I'm really not gonna have anybody um so I ended up asking one of my friends like where do the women hang out like I was finally ready to like be around women 
which like historically never been my thing. I didn't get along with women. We didn't like the same things. I hate shopping. I don't like doing my makeup. I hate reality TV. Like there was just nothing for me and a groups of women to do together. Um, but my friend had said, you know, check out this group. It's up, up in your area. And so I went in there and like everything changed. It was this cozy little library in the basement of this church. And like these women were just amazing. And they were surprisingly a lot more of them that were my age than I expected. Mm -hmm. I expected a lot of like little old ladies with like, I don't know, like some kind of like glasses, like some little old ladies that I envisioned like hanging out in Las Vegas. That's what I thought. Mm -hmm. That's what I thought Mm -hmm. I was going to see. But it was not. And a lot of people my own age and like everything changed after that. Um, and even, even when I was very first going to those meetings, I still like wasn't sure that I actually was an alcoholic, but like I was willing to just keep going to these meetings so that I could like hang on to like something to do socially. Um, and that's what hooked me was like, I had some other people that wanted to see me and in a city where I didn't know anybody Mm -hmm. and like couldn't drink and like didn't know what to do and I was having this existential identity crisis these these women wanted to see me and wanted me around uh so I kept going and kept sticking around and finally uh my sponsor had told me like if you show up at these meetings and you feel like you belong then like you belong and you don't have to question it anymore and I stopped questioning whether I was or was not an alcoholic and just gave myself permission to be there and that's been a lot of like what the past five years have been is just me giving myself permission for whatever Mm -hmm. permission to be where I'm at having the feelings that I'm feeling being in the space that I'm at and not constantly having to change it or constantly having to like work to do better like yes I have goals I have things that I want to do but it's not tied up to my entire sense of self now now it's just I have I have permission to not do a damn thing for a day like Mm. that's okay which has been my day today like like Megan and I talked about earlier like my accomplishments were the day we're getting out of bed before 10 a.m washing a handful of dishes and like feeding myself actual food Mm -hmm. and like it's okay that some days those are my accomplishments because other days I do a lot more and and I'm at I've found this sense of peace within myself that I'd never experienced before. And that's something mm-hmm. I would not trade for, mm-hmm. for anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's what I get out of, out of being sober today. If, if that sense of inner, inner peace and inner contentment with myself means that I don't drink alcohol anymore, like mm-hmm. I'm willing to give that up mm-hmm. all day, any day. And I've, I've honestly done more in the last five years mm-hmm. than in the in my entire the entire 27 years before I got sober. Yeah. Um, I've done so much more living and had so many more experiences. Even in like my first three years of sobriety, yeah. I have done so much more than I I ever did before. Because before we just sit and drink and talk about it. Like we never actually yeah did anything i'm pretty sure like i also did i mean not to the cool things that i do now but like i also just remember all the things that i right do like like i might have done some cool things when i was drinking but i, I definitely don't, don't remember them yeah mm. 
I didn't do that many cool things while I was drinking because we were just at the bar drinking. Yeah, like, I didn't really start living life till I got sober. Nothing, nothing cool. Like I didn't go on any cool vacations. I was not in any kind of physical fitness shape. Yeah. I just didn't. I drank. Yeah. I drank and I had really like in-depth conversations about random stuff. But like that's it. Do you ever question if they were really in-depth or if you were just really drunk? Uh, depends on the person. So my conversations with Rachel were absolutely really in-depth. Okay. Okay. Um, but with other people, they very well could have been just drunken yeah. ramblings. Yeah. I mean, the the only other thing that, like, really did come out of it was um, I was visiting my friend at her dorm at UMKC, and we learned the entire dance to Michael Jackson's Beat It, okay. which I still have that memorized to this day. So there's that. You learned it drunk and you still have it memorized today? Yeah. I mean, I performed it a lot also while drunk, so, like, muscle memory is a thing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So there's that. Muscle memory. Yeah. Um, So that's my story. If anybody listening wants to discuss more or you feel like you you may want to talk about what your relationship with alcohol is like and... And find out if it's maybe normal or maybe not so normal. Like, absolutely reach out. Hit us um, up. Hit us up. We'd be glad to talk to you about it. And if if we can't talk to you, we have a plethora of people who can. Um, or you can, can hit up your local intergroup office. But I will caution, like, not, not every geographic area has the same recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, so that just because you might have gone to a meeting and thought it was a bunch of people in a cult, like, it could have been. That's entirely possible. Yeah. Um, but I've not found a cult. I found a lot of a lot of love, um, yeah. and support from people that that don't want anything other than to see me do well as a human being. So we're gonna wrap that up because this is gonna be one of our longer episodes. Um, but hope you all take care and stay safe. Peace. Bye, y'all.